0: they're too young to get neutered oh
1: boo
0: Um, i know so did you have to pay for that privilege of him rummaging this conversation is becoming more
1: and more disturbing to me
2: hi welcome to scattered we're a group of friends from the same church who are serving god in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the bible chapter by chapter we'd love you to join us
1: okay welcome to uh scattered everyone Uh, I'm here with Jill and Mary and this week we are looking at Acts chapter 25 verse 13 to uh, chapter 26 verse 32. Uh, Last week we left Paul in Caesarea in front of Festus. Uh, He'd just appealed to Caesar after finding that he just wasn't getting anywhere. So uh, yeah, he wasn't getting anywhere with them. So ladies... Uh, What goes on in this last section of verse of chapter 25? Who are Agrippa and Bernice?
0: So Agrippa is a king, right? He's like a a kind of Jewish king who didn't have loads of power, obviously, because the Romans had all the power. Um, But he would have had like kind of local Jewish knowledge. So he was probably quite a useful person for Festus to turn to. Um, And he came with his sister younger sister Bernice um yeah I mean there was lots of rumors about these guys um I don't think that uh Agrippa was good news generally I mean he's like the son of Herod something or other and the grandson of another Herod and Herod's like not the nicest character in any of the generations that he seems to appear, this Herod name. Um, Yeah, so there's these guys. They have this chat, don't they? And I was reflecting on this, I was like, how does Luke know that they are chatting together? Like, and what they're saying and everything. I was was a bit like, how does a storyteller, like, is he just kind of imagining what they would say? Um, And I actually asked my husband and he was like, if you look at the beginning of of Luke, uh, luke's gospel um he says that he very carefully investigated everything before writing it down so he probably spoke with servants he probably um would have done proper kind of investigation as to what happened in that conversation so that he could record it because he obviously thought it was important um, yeah so that you know because of the rain the roman times there would have been loads of servants around everywhere that you mm. go pretty much so probably he would have been able to know what happened
2: yeah my history um little bit of history in the past it's all about eyewitnesses isn't it and so I guess he would have found eyewitnesses that were there that could tell him reliably yeah Yeah,
1: and I think it would have been really interesting I think to have been an eyewitness in this situation wouldn't it because you've got Agrippa yeah who like you said Mary is a king but his you know his father was had martyred James his grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded his great-grandfather tried to kill the baby Jesus you know his relationship with his half-sister was almost certainly incestuous and yet here is Paul this really godly guy who's trying to live a life in good conscience before God and man in front of these people being judged uh yeah it's quite an interesting dynamic I think
0: yeah it's ironic isn't it that they arrive in all their pomp um it says in my translation it's a good word Um, isn't it pomp Pomp, and then there's Paul, who's like in chains. But really, who who is the son of the king? Um, who is part of God's family and really, you know, heavenly royalty? Um, and that's Paul, isn't it? Like this earthly royalty is just uh, a show.
2: Yeah, and I think we're supposed to see the massive contrast because that first section from verse thirteen um, to verse twenty-three it's Festus telling the story in his own way that's not entirely accurate you know he's really good at portraying it so that he looks like the good guy in this story and not like he's dropped the ball and he should have released Paul and so I think as well as the massive pomp and um, circumstance of royalty coming into the court dressed yeah in robes of purple and red you've also got different type of intimidation for paul haven't you of the truth just not being discussed honestly and so there's lots of different ways that you can intimidate people isn't there there's wealth and power and prestige but definitely um i would feel pretty intimidated if i was in paul's shoes because the truth's not being held up honestly and there's these guys that have got a lot going for them in the eyes of the world but you're right mary actually Paul's the one that holds himself well isn't it and speaks the truth and amazingly he isn't intimidated because I guess his identity is secure as a child of God
1: I think uh, I just love that I hadn't thought Mary I hadn't realized that whole I think it was you who said you know the contrast between the sort of earthly king but then the the son of the true king I just think that's such an amazing thing and I guess we can take heart from that can't we when we are in situations where we feel like things are really unfair um we can take heart from actually we know that any injustice that we face on this earth will ultimately be dealt with um and it's not on our shoulders to be dealing with that and god will deal with it rightly and in you know correctly and ultimately justice will be done Mm. Uh, i think um me when I for me when I find myself in situations that I feel to be really unfair my automatic thing is is I have to um get justice for myself I have to not vengeance you know the Lord says the vengeance is mine but I need to justify myself I need to make everyone around me aware of the of the injustice that's being done to me and I guess this is a demonstration that really we don't always need to do that
2: or the 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 other danger is we want to we we can be tempted to play the game can't we and manage our own image or blame shift or spin the story in a way that makes us look better but it it's so challenging isn't it that Paul doesn't do that he remains gracious and kind and honest and tells the truth um
1: yeah so what about this next um part so uh, Paul t- does give his defense doesn't he in front of Uh, In front of uh, Agrippa, at the start of chapter twenty-six. So, uh, what what do you think is uh, important to note from from his uh, his defence here?
2: One thing that I noticed was the whole he really understands the culture that he's speaking into, doesn't he? And he is talking in a in the right way. He has an introduction, then he narrates what's happened he defends himself he summarizes like he has really worked hard in these two years that we saw he's been hanging around waiting for a trial to understand the right way to speak and so culturally he's working really hard to speak in a way that can be heard and understood in the culture that he's in and that's i think that's challenging for us isn't it whether we're in manchester or whether we're in other places in the world like you guys are that paul's such a good example time and again through acts of working hard to speak truth in a way that's culturally appropriate
0: Mm. so he's working really hard isn't he to link um like the old testament so what agrippa and those guys would have uh, or should have all believed and and lived their lives on uh, with the gospel so like he he's trying to link isn't he like we see in verse um six uh and now it's because of my hope in what god has promised our ancestors that i'm on trial today this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve god day and night Um, like he's he's saying you know we should all be hoping in this thing Um, and yeah like he's done we've seen him do this over and over again he tries to get his audience and be like this isn't me this should be us like come into this story Mm. Um, like join me because it's true Um, and he's he's quite strong isn't he on this word hope like Paul really lives and hopes on God's promises doesn't he and he's like, in the Old Testament, God made promises that this this suffering servant would come, um, and you know, and, and then he he's been resurrected. This is my hope, and this should be your hope because it should be our hope. You know, if you really if you really believe in this God and in this that you know that he would rescue us, um, then that rescuer has come. So come on, join join me in this hope. Um, I I really love his
1: challenge to them in verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Such a challenge, isn't it? And it is bringing it back to that resurrection hope that he talked about so much uh, at the beginning of chapter 25. You know, you believe, you say you believe all of this stuff. Do you really believe it? And if you do, why is it incredible that God could raise the dead? If he created the world, if he has done everything that he has done in history... Why is this any different? Why suddenly are you deciding this could not have happened?
2: But then he continues to relate really well to them, doesn't he, and connect with them by almost saying, but on the other hand, I understand where you're coming from because I thought this was crazy as well until I met Jesus. And so that whole next paragraph is him saying, yeah, I understand your obsession to try and root out Christianity because i that was me too.
1: He always talks about, doesn't he? Paul always says in every sort of conversion story, he does talk about his pre-Christian life.
2: Yeah, I was thinking as well um, about how good Paul is at taking his past and not not glorifying it, but actually seeing explaining to people clearly this is who i was and then jesus has changed me and i've still got those character traits but god is continuing to use me and change me um yeah and i just was challenged about how it's important for all of us to do that and look at our pre-christian life and not hide that away from people but be able to share that in a way that points to the beautiful things jesus has done in our lives Last week, Mary, you were talking a little bit about living out of fear and I have been reflecting this week on how I pride would be the place that I naturally, sinfully live out of. But actually being able to talk about specific ways that God is changing that, as I submit more to him, it's really helpful, isn't it, to engage with people about our sin and not try and push that away or pretend it's not there but actually to show people and be prepared to walk with them through our stories of the way that god's changing us and the gospel's transforming those difficult parts of our characters as well as the as well as the passions that you talked about we've got to be prepared to talk about the battles haven't we and the sin that god's transforming as well because it all gives him glory doesn't it
1: yeah and i think um the narrative outside of the christian bubble is sometimes that Christians have it all together or I need to be all together before I enter a church you know God doesn't want me because I'm not a good enough person or I'm too bad or you know that 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 is um often when I'm talking to non-Christians that is the narrative that comes out and actually we need to be saying don't we actually pre-Christian pre-Jesus I was like this um post-Jesus I'm still like this but God is changing me I am less scared of this you know I have a lot of issues with uh with anxiety and I can see how God is using my struggle with anxiety to change me um and make me love and yearn for him more Uh, but I agree with you as well Jill it's it's um it's a really hard balance, isn't it? Between talking about your sin and talking about what your life was before Jesus and, um, and saying, and not glorifying that and saying, look, I don't regret this sin because now look what that's led to me to be able to do post Jesus. Cause you know, I, for example, I didn't become a Christian. I would say seriously until my mid to early, early to mid twenties, and so I often find that my story about um, sort of being within church at school and then once going to uni, completely dropping off the map really resonates with younger people. And when I talk about my conversion, my true convert, what well, I would say my true conversion, you know, that really resonates. But it's really hard for me not to uh, to get that balance between saying this was my life. I regret the sin, but I'm grateful for God the way he's brought me through because now it enables me to connect with people. I can understand people, you know, people in a different, certain people in a different way. Um, And that's helpful in sharing and in my work that I have abroad without making it seem like it's saying, Oh that's okay if I'm not a Christian and until I'm my, my mid 20s. You know, it's like a, it's a hard balance between not glorifying my sin and yet saying actually God is going to use this sin that I was in for good. And as we think about um you know our pre-conversion and then conversion, let's look at this um light and dark thing that Paul mentions. Uh, he mentions it twice, doesn't he? In verse 18. Uh, and then in again, in verse 23, there's quite, um, he mentions light and darkness. He mentions uh, God and Satan. And that's a theme, isn't it, that we often see in quite a few places in the Bible. Uh, yeah. Tell me what you guys think about, about that.
0: Yeah, I was reflecting on this and I hadn't seen so clearly before the whole in verse 18. So to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and it's like there's this eye opening that needs to happen um so that someone can step from the darkness into light because darkness and light in the bible is like a a big thing isn't it you know right from the beginning when god separates the light from the darkness um and then you know as as uh, things go on we see you know quite often it's quoted isn't it you know god God is this light, isn't he? His his glory and his presence is just this blinding light. Um, It's mentioned in the Psalms um, and, you know, in Isaiah, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Um, There's this big kind of contrast. It's a bit, um, reminds me of Star Wars. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I just think like we, like you were talking about, Helen, before we know um, before we know Jesus, we are in this darkness. I and mean, there's something about darkness where we can't we can't see, can we? And we can't we can't almost see to see our way out of the darkness. And it, we need that opening of our eyes to be able to see the light and go towards it. And that, I just think that was quite clear here when he was talking about how, you know, Jesus has asked him to go and open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they can come out of their darkness, which they are helpless in um, and go into the light.
2: I was having a little chat with Jumpy about this and he was saying actually all the way through Luke and in Acts um light and truth are really closely linked and that would fit wouldn't it with Paul being commissioned to go and speak the truth and bring light like actually those two th- that is Paul's role isn't it all the way through Acts he's been sent to proclaim the truth and that's that's what brings the light isn't it
0: yeah, because you know, then there's the other side of it, which he links. You know, he links he links darkness to Satan, doesn't he? And we know that Satan lies, yeah. um, and his his he's the father of lies, isn't he? And he hides in the darkness because in the darkness we can't see that what he's saying is a lie. And it's then when the light is shone on those lies lies and we see the truth that we then are able to to step away from them. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: I was really struck this. Um these couple of verses here in Acts reminded me of Ephesians uh, chapter 5 verse 8 and the famous Colin Buchanan song, uh, for at one time you were in darkness but now are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light walk Can you on sing it, please? walk on yes but one time you were darkness but you're light in the lord walk as children of light walk on walk on there you go i appreciated the african dancing there as much as i did the singing <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad um yeah just this this idea of we are you know we are totally in darkness without jesus um Totally. It's just, you know, and uh, hell is described, isn't it, several times, I think in Matthew, um, as the outer darkness. And only Jesus can bring the light. He is described as the light of the world. And just this idea of, um, it was this idea that they may turn from darkness to light. You know, like it's a, um, it, it struck me that every time I choose, <clears throat> to not walk as a, as a child of light, to not walk, to, to do something that doesn't draw me, uh, that doesn't reflect me as a child of light. I am choosing to turn towards darkness. And Satan loves darkness, doesn't he? Because it hides, it hides sin, it hides badness. Um, you know, why do you fear the darkness? Because you can't see what's going on it's easy why do why do most bad things happen at night because they're well hidden in the dark and mm. so it's that 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 idea of um they are turning from darkness to light and choose it and from the power of satan to so the darkness to god jesus is the light that's what we need to turn to that's what we need to look for uh whenever in everything really
0: yeah when we're in the light we need not fear the darkness should be because even though like in the darkness you can't see and it's and it's scary um like god is god is it is there isn't he and like he it says in the psalms doesn't it like even the darkness is not dark to you but the night shines like the day for darkness is as light to you like he i don't i think we i tend to be like oh there's this dark place you know i can still go back to and it's scary or whatever but but god god is you know God with God everything is light and if we're near God um then we don't need to fear the darkness um and one day there won't be any darkness anymore like the the um the city like the new Jerusalem is going to be like all light because God's there um and I just love that and yeah I think it will be just blindingly beautiful um like Jesus was when he was transfigured like I just think that kind of light that we can't really comprehend It's a really
2: powerful motif, isn't it? Like we said, right from Genesis and then at Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, it's the light that is transformative, isn't it? And yeah, like can't wait for that day when all there is is light.
1: The thing that made me, I guess, sad is that we live in a world that thinks it's enlightened, Hmm. when actually it's living in darkness. Um, And so the more we are able to point people towards the light, the more truly enlightened people will become.
0: Yeah, because these guys here who Paul is talking to, like they probably think that they are enlightened and they, pro- they say, don't they, before they say, oh, you know, he's, uh, what's he say? They have some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus. This is in chapter 25, verse 18. A dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Like, that's living in darkness and not not seeing the truth isn't it and yet they think you know that oh some dead man named jesus and like this jesus is turning the world upside down and he is the hope he he could be their hope and yet it's like cast aside and
1: you know and that that attitude sort of continues doesn't it in verse 24 and 25 he says you are out of your mind like what you know paul says that this man's alive but paul you're out of your mind and paul says in verse 25 i'm not out of my mind." but i'm speaking true and rational words that contrast between enlightened uh, supposed enlightenment and true enlightenment again
2: this last section is such a great example again isn't it of pauls defending himself he's the through the through anybody's eyes he's the weak guy in chains and yet he uses those opportunities to witness doesn't he and to take the offensive at, not a, that's the wrong word to be on the offensive um and it, He really calls out to Festus and Agrippa, doesn't he? And really cares that they see Jesus for who he is. Like he's so sincere in wanting everybody he comes into contact with, isn't he? To know who Jesus is and be transformed by it. I I, I know we've got another week to go, but that is so challenging for me in Acts that every opportunity Paul has, he takes to point people to Jesus as the light.
0: Mm. Even when it feels like they're almost almost mocking him with this kind of, you're mad, you know, do you really think you can persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time? Um, and Paul's just, Paul's sincere, isn't he? So sincere in his answer. Um, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. You know, he, he really yearns for them, despite the fact that, you know, if it was me, my pride would be pricked by the way they were treating me. But he's not. he's like, I yearn for you to know this. Um, you know from you guys to the servants standing over there I want all of you to know this truth and step from darkness into light there's two reactions here
1: um, and I think probably two of the more common ones that we encounter which is you're insane and then uh, which is what Festus says but Agrippa sort of sidesteps the whole issue isn't it he doesn't he doesn't come he isn't willing to say yes of course I believe this and therefore I need to believe in Jesus he starts mocking Paul as a way of diverting from the true issue and um, I think that's quite a common response that we encounter or people like to sidestep don't they you know you get to the crux of it this is what I believe and they're like oh well you know I'm not happy with this this is what I like to believe this is my truth or you know it's quite an interesting um quite an interesting tactic i don't know what you guys think we can do to address it or you know paul here is just maybe it's just being really sincere like you said mary just still saying well this is this is true go away and have a think about it i don't know what you guys think
0: yeah because it's god isn't it that opens eyes and at the end of the day like we can call people um to the light and to the truth and to what's real um, but at the end of the day, for their heart to really want to go towards that light, they need to have their eyes opened. And we just can't do that with our words, can we? And I think that's clear here. Like, this is Paul, the apostle. You know, if anyone's going to be able to change people's hearts, it's him, surely. But still, it's it's God's work, isn't it? You know, he says, I pray to God that not only um, you, but all who are listening. So, like, it's God. It's God who changes hearts. And we just need to pray I say we just need to like it's it's the most important thing that we pray that the scales will drop from people's eyes and that hard hearts will become soft because we just can't do that can we
2: I read something really helpful about prayer last night and it was it was saying the humble heart prays doesn't it the proud heart doesn't think it needs to and that's true isn't it if we really care for people we will pray because that's what changes situations
1: All that is left to say is that at the end of this chapter, you know, you've got um, Agrippa listens to Paul's last salvo in verse 29. He, him and Festus stand up and they just say to each other, this guy's done nothing wrong and he could have been set free. So it's a bit of a um, kind of sad and frustrating end to the passage to see what could have been. Um, And I guess we, as we've talked about in the past, we need to keep trusting the Lord that he has got things in control, even at the end of this chapter. Okay, thanks, ladies. We will see you again
0: next week. Bye. Bye. We did a synchronised bye then. That was exciting.
2: (laughs) It'll only have picked up one, won't it?